Alan Yentl, described by many as a BBC lifer, has been in a prominent position at the organisation since 1985, when he was moved to the top job in BBC Arts. And from Arena to Abfab to Imagine and to running the BBC in various guises, it's no surprise that he's never far from praise, nor criticism perhaps. And I always say that art allows us to ask the questions why in the most amazingly creative ways. And so what we're going to do today is use Alan's distinguished career and his work to explore some pretty big themes in the arts. Mr. Alan Yentob, the man who said yes to me and meant it. Welcome to the show. Before we get going, you know, I uh, have to ask you a pressing question. Why is the media obsessed these days with either youth or celebrity or reality or kind of shock shows? I've seen it. You've seen it. Well, God knows. I, I have no idea. Everything is changing. The media, the transformation of the media, the digital realm, AI, all that has changed everything. Social media has now taken over. So there are no surprises there. And the gap between the different generations is also really creating a sort of uh, a sort of split really as well so who knows you know we're living in extraordinary times that's the truth they are extraordinary times and it's times and uh, it's interesting that immediately there you, you talk about the intergenerational thing that's going on and you know it's one of the things that i i say that i love to do with this program because i'm all the barter Letting the oldies, that's those grown-ups, still have a, a voice. But obviously that voice is, is not just for us to pat each other on the back. Back, It's with the idea of it's being informed view uh, to help to guide the next generation. And, and, and some of the most exciting conversations, actually, are those between the intergenerations. But, I mean, I don't need to tell you that. You're, you've got a lifetime of, of telling stories and, and making stories. But you know something, Alan, something else I want to talk to you about is finding stories, because that's something that surprised me, because in my day, that was the whole thing. That's kind of what you, you measured the weight of a journalist by. It was their contacts, it was their nows, it was their ideas, it was their the ways that they could turn um, the, the, you know, the most obscure of ideas, if you like, into something that was relevant and, and bears resonance with all of us. And, and you did that. that. That's kind of, I think, in a nutshell, what Imagine was doing. It was bringing the arts to the masses. Was, was that kind of the intention, Alan? Well, it started, the whole thing started with Arena, you know, really essentially the arts thing, which is nearly now... Uh, it's over, actually, it's over 50 years Arena has been going. And uh, now I'll just tell you, I mean, originally when I, I joined the BBC when I was 20 years old, a long, long time ago, that's over half a century, that's the almost truth. And when I applied to the BBC, I had, I was at uni and they, there was an application form for, um, you know, for, for, for these traineeships and there were only five on offer and there were tens of thousands of applicants applications so at the top of the form it said we have tens of thousands of applications we only have five places so let us know why you think it should be you yeah and 
about 30 years ago, I gave the first BAFTA lecture when I was already was running BBC Two at the time, or BBC One even, I can't remember. It was long, long ago. And um, I answered that question. And I, I, I asked the BBC, who, of course, retain everything or just about everything, if I could see my application form. And they sent it me, and I saw this very scruffy response to why it should be me. And my reply was really badly written. It was partly handwritten and partly printed, partly typed, because I wasn't much good at typing in that time. And I said, well, at the age of eight, I played one of the wives in The Merry Wives of Windsor. Okay. And one of my contemporaries said, you have lovely legs, you should be in show business. And so, lo and behold, I then... Got, got the job for so I think writing what you write in your application forms is very important and every time I've got a doctorate or been to a university or handed out um, you know degrees I've always told them that and said you can still have hope because that was my application form and I'm now director of television at the BBC so have a go so that's how it all started I, I went to the BBC I started in radio uh, I started in Bush House, which was extraordinary. And Bush, Bush House went on for 24-7. It never, no one ever went to bed. You know, you were reporting around the world. And my first gig, I interviewed Idi Amin, the, 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 the dictator, yes. and uh, uh, Harold Pinter on the same day. That was my start, and I never went backwards. So that was it. <laughs> I can imagine. I bet you can remember as well. I bet you can remember the interview with Idi Amin, can't you? And, and I can sort of remember it. The BBC probably has it. I must retain it. <laughs> but I haven't listened to it for many years because I had done so many interviews. I mean, I've there are s about s 700 arenas on the on the BBC. The BBC has. There are um, 250 hours of Imagine. And then there are all the shows I've commissioned and I've just as you've seen been revisiting my past with uh, there's a show coming out about French and Saunders coming out on the 27th I've just done something with Russell T Davis uh, which went out on Monday which has had reviewed in every paper and I did something about Manchester revisiting Manchester as you know because you were there and so uh, you know I've been very lucky and um uh, and I've got to know so many people and made friendships with all kinds of people. Mel Brooks, Orson Welles, David Bowie, I mean, the Philip Roth, Stanley Kubrick. But these all became close friends of mine. So I've been lucky. The names go on and on. And you say that you've been lucky. And it's interesting that you you start there. I want to talk to you about the imagined films. I'm going to ask you questions on both of them separately. The film with Russell T. Davis. I'm going to tell you now, I'm just going to say thank you. Okay, thank you. That is, as me, a 63-year-old. I'm 64 now. Sorry, I've forgotten I've had a birthday. Yeah. Watching that programme, I learned things, Alan. I think this is it anyway. I mean, people's minds need to be open. But I watched that programme on Monday night and I was almost breathless in parts. I was learning as I was going along. I was learning, I was discovering. It was done with such tenderness and such love. So it's interesting. I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm going to talk to you about that at the end. Um, but, you know, 
you've mentioned Russell and you've mentioned your friends and you've mentioned the relationship that you have with people. And I think that when you're involved in the industry for such a long time, you develop relationships. And that's, to me, what it's always been about. It's always been on the strength of my relationships and how I treat people and, you know, the respect and courtesy and this, that and the other. And yet they've looked to you and they've called it, they've called, um, you know, almost dismissively, Al's pals. Well, I would say we should be saying, I'm delighted that they are Al's pals. Because if that's what allows us to see a part of their world, then that's good enough for me. It's not something to be criticised. Why is there this kind of, it seems like it's like a, a an, an almost like a, a nitpicking kind of thing going on. I think there is a reason for it, because I think I have a sort of odd, like the unique position in the BBC, because I was running the BBC and I was even creative director and I was when I was running Imagine for at least 12 years or 15 years. In fact, 15 years at least, where I was had a double life. And because I was on TV and I was being seen and I was being seen to run the place as well, it all felt self-indulgent, you know, or indulgent. And it was also an opportunity for some of the press, I won't mention which newspapers, and they still carry on doing it, to sort of find a way to sort of target people who the public might recognize. And I was one of those targets, but because I love the BBC and believe in it, and despite many offers to do other jobs, I've stayed loyal to the BBC all these years uh, because I believe in its value. And I believe that value is, that needs to be spoken of and people need to support the BBC because it's an extraordinary organization, particularly in this era when when the world is so much more divided. And if you look at the BBC as an anchor for the creative industries in the UK and around the world, I mean, BBC World, World Service, the, the role of the BBC in being inclusive and drawing everyone in, for instance, in Manchester, for instance, in Salford, that's such an important centre for the BBC. Look at Doctor Who now coming out of Wales. Wales is now a kind of centre for, 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 for really important. Uh, it's got a huge, uh, the Bad Wolf Studios is, is, is compares and with the, the big American studios and Disney has become a partner uh, with Bad Wolf and Jane Tranter who, who uh, runs Bad Wolf was head of drama at the BBC, worked for me, was yeah. working in the BBC for years. So, and you'll find also, but if you look in America and around the world, or you look at ITV, or you look at Channel 4, all those people were once in the BBC. So the BBC is a, a very important part of the BBC culture and tradition. We must also remember that culture and, and the media is, you know, culture is about who we are. It's about our, our everyday lives. It's about everything. It's not just about art it's about something much broader and more important and i think the bbc connects to that um so yes i i think going forward it's very important the bbc has had its uh, budgets cut it's not getting inflation it's uh, you know under under threat quite a lot of the time at a time when the big streaming giants have got very very deep pockets and uh, it's underestimated how important the BBC is to people in the UK. The fact is that if you look at the 
the figures, the audience figures for the BBC, they, they're still absolutely huge. And the the price of paying for it is relatively modest. You know, it's for a, it's a household price. And um, the BBC has to compete with so many. And it, it's a it's a trusted organization. It's always unchallenged. You know, we're going through difficult times now with the, the, the war in, 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 in Israel, which is deeply distressing for everyone. Uh, and uh, the BBC has, is challenged by this because, remember, it's a global uh, organization. It's a trusted one. So it, it has to be able to, to signify to people across the world that it's impartial, which doesn't mean it doesn't tell the truth, but it doesn't take sides. It tells the story as it knows it. Now, it's an incredibly important value to people and uh, I, it's got to be supported. You know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned so many things in that one answer, Alan. And number one is your love of the BBC. And I think that that's apparent. I think it's apparent, regardless of the criticism or whatever. I think it's apparent. The other thing that you talked about was your deep love for what it did and what it represents and the fact that it's trusted. And you and I know that they use this word, the public service broadcasting. Do you think that they're still intense on public service broadcasting? Do you not think that they've been seduced also by the nonsense that's going on out there? I don't know about seduced, but the world is changing and the, the transformation of the world in the last, you know, with digital media, with AI, with all of this going on at the moment means that, you know, public service broadcasts are struggling. The advertising industry is not what it was. So Channel 4 and ITV are challenged by this. The idea that the BBC should be, uh, there shouldn't be a, a license fee will only mean that the BBC then competes with not just the streamers, but more importantly, with ITV and Channel 4. And that competition will be a really damaging to ITV and Channel 4. So the BBC and the public service broadcasting is needs to be sustained and supported, particularly because it is inclusive, because it draws people together. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that in the, the next year or two uh, that this message will get out and that those people who support the BBC will get out there and, uh, and realise what they'll be missing if they don't get the BBC that they've loved for all these years. Also, there's another great asset the BBC has, and it which is an extraordinary range of content. And it's what we call archive, it isn't really archive. Disney doesn't talk about its archive. It talks about its extraordinary range of content. And that's what the BBC has. And there are many ways to share this, not just in the UK, but with the world. And that's something that I'm very, very uh, supportive of and want to find ways in which that incredible, incredible sort of archive can be seen to be content which can be shared with, with both generations. I mean, I, I have this idea that BBC Ford should be handed over to the young, that the YouTubers and the young people should realize that their legacy of this that is available on the archive is not something that's irrelevant to them and to their lives. You know, when my kids were listening to Frank Sinatra and Bob Marley in the early days of their lives, and uh, I think there's so much there 
that the young can discover and share with their contemporaries. And we need to find ways to do that. So people don't imagine the past is irrelevant. There are lessons from the past to be learned. There are extraordinary things to be found and discovered. And uh, it will be a revelation to many who don't know about these things, who are stuck on social media in one particular place. We need to open people's minds. I've always thought that curiosity, I have a company which I call I Am Curious Productions. That's its title. And curiosity and creativity are very connected. And if you want to find out about the world, you need to be asking questions. You need to be finding answers. You need to, to search for things, not to go always to the same place to confirm your prejudices. So there's a lot we have to learn. There's a lot of progress that needs to be made. We've been through most extraordinary five years. You know, if you think about the lessons we've learned about the environment, uh, about the AI, about about cities and how cities grow, and uh, if if there are any high streets anymore, do you go shopping or do you just go to Amazon and whatever? How do we connect with each other? How do we share things in a way that allows us to open our minds? In fact, I think you know you're sitting in Manchester where this tremendous show of Danny Boyle's Free Your Mind is going to be on the BBC, that show. Uh, I've managed to get that to happen in uh, uh, in the, I think it's New Year's Eve on BBC Two, uh, that fantastic show of Danny's, uh, which draws in different generations, different ethnicities. Danny is a, is, a, is a great, is a curious man and he wants to share things. And free your mind is essential in this new era that we're entering in. Not Don't be stuck in a corner open up, look and listen. Uh, that's the most important lesson we can learn. Well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's this, it's this, um, it gives you a vehicle, if you like, to explore. I, I believe anyway, to, to explore lots of, of things that perhaps, you know, we don't have the immediate uh, answers. Um, at the immediate. Very good point. I mean, I would say also, um, about the current situation we're in. There's a great uh, program maker called Norma Percy, who's got some shows about Vladimir Putin coming out, who has done shows about Russia, about the Middle East, and her survey of the Middle East over you know, decades is absolutely extraordinary. And they're all on the iPlayer to be seen. And if you want to know the real story about the Middle East, then you need to watch uh, and learn from Norma Percy's programs. They're all there on the on the BBC iPlayer, and they're they're a fascinating insight. And they don't take sides. And she has access to all kinds of people from every side who have spoken to her. And she uh, she really understands this need to, to to give people the stories and let them make their own minds up about what they believe. But give them the facts and let them hear them. Yes. Yes. It's extraordinary. You know, you talked about the awful situation that we have in the world. Um, there's no words, Alan, and and I think it's much too sensitive to 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 try and glib over. So we will leave it just understanding where I come from is you know, I'm a pretty old bird here, Alan. I, I, I'm about understanding the difference between right and wrong and fundamentally understanding the difference between right and wrong. That's how we were brought up. We had morals, we had values. And it's that that I see 
Uh, well, all, all sides do right and wrong, you know, you know, you know, whether it's Israel or Hamas or whatever, there's right and wrong on all sides. What yes. we need now is to come together and find a way forward. And that means a conversation. And that's the issue across the world now. You know, there needs to be there need to be conversations. We need not to have victims of all of this all over the place who are. I mean, we talk about what's happening in Israel, but. You know, if you look at what happened in Cambodia and what the Americans and British did in Iraq and what's going on in Yemen and elsewhere, you know, these stories disappear. Yeah. Yeah. So we we need to understand it's we need to to move on in the world. But it's the idea that innocent people are killed in this way, that war seems to be a solution to everything. It's just so shocking. We haven't learned. No. You talked about our new world and, and AI. A long time ago, you were actually responsible for young people and for data capture at the BBC. Did you guys see this coming? Did you see it coming? Well, up to a point we did. And I think you can see from, again, coming back to Free Your Mind and the film of The Matrix, that that was many years ago. And that was seen. Alan Turing was sitting in Manchester and discovering and realizing something was coming. And I have made a, a lot of shows uh, about uh, about th this story. I followed it on Imagine as well uh, about the fact that uh, books were disappearing and uh, and uh, that uh, uh, that the, the beginning of of this digital realm, the beginning of uh, of this story. We all thought, I, I, I did a show called Here Comes Everybody. It seemed like a positive thing. It seemed like it was going to change things. And still, AI, there is the good, the bad, and the ugly. We need to find ways to use it effectively um, and not abuse it. Uh, and that is that needs, again, to come back to this thing, it needs a conversation. It needs fairness. It needs a way of, there are lots of ways in which this new technology can help to transform people's lives in a positive way, can help the health system, can help the education system. It can uh, it can do things, but it can also, you know, be abused. Uh, so really, you know, there are many challenges ahead for the next generation, many challenges ahead. No, absolutely. You talked about AI for good. And interestingly enough, that was something that I looked at a few weeks ago on this very show. But... The thing that I think is that is causing the concern with AI is its ability to learn from you, to learn from itself and to create. And it's that ability to create. And I think it's that that is causing the I'm not going to say the cause for concern, but it's making you think, hang on a minute. What are these possibilities? Which actually very nicely lets me flip flop into the matrix and free your mind. Because it is about endless possibilities, isn't it, Alan? It's endless possibilities, I think. Well, it is about endless possibilities. But if you think about, you know, the first time anyone saw an aeroplane go up in the air, they must have thought, oh, my God, what's going on here? You know, you know, we've been in horses and carriages for a while. And then there's motor cars and there's aeroplanes. I mean, I sometimes do look up and I think, you know, when you imagine what it must have been like to see that first aeroplane go up let alone the people landing on the you know on, on in going out space these are things that you have to find a way to work on we had an industrial revolution then we had the digital revolution 
and we need to work out how to how to live with this and how to improve our lives through it and it's not easy and this this area this is very this is a very big challenge indeed and uh, there's also this issue of profit and control who's doing it who's benefiting from it uh, and um as i say none, none of it is easy i mean we've seen the the cop conferences going on right now and we've seen that there are vested interests in oil and uh, and certain certain kinds of which which and fossil fuels which make it a, a challenge to certain parts of the world and we know that the those who are most vulnerable uh, to this uh, crisis and uh, of the environment are are, are are peoples in 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 parts of the world where they're already struggling and uh, and uh, we need to help and share and ensure that we remember others too and not just you know these countries in the west who are doing all right thank you very much no these are troubling times are you excited about what ai can do for you alan yentop not not particularly for me no i'm not i think i'm uh, I'm in my last chapter, but uh, I think it's it's what it can do for the future, uh, for the next generation, for looking after those who are in poverty and homeless and uh, out of work and uh, struggling and ignored. You know, that's the most important thing um, and making a fairer world. Um, and I just hope that people understand that 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 it takes you've got to make sacrifices some of us who have need to help those who haven't and that means also those in the richer parts of the world need to help the others too uh, and we need it as i say to come together and talk about how we can achieve this it's interesting that you say that you're in the final chapter you're not in the final chapter mr yentov you're still churning out program i can see the ideas and you mind you're still excited by life i can you know we're supposed to be talking about the arts we've not talked about the arts we're talking about life because that is sure but is that's it, one thing it? that hasn't changed despite um i'm sure it will change it hasn't changed the fact that it's only when you get to a certain age that you realize that you know there is you know one way or another the thing that ai hasn't yet changed is how long we live and what our lifespan is and that lifespan increases for some. It doesn't for others. In other parts of the world, people die much earlier. So uh, wealthy countries have a longer lifespan. Now, obviously, it's it's funny that, of course, the Elon Musk's and the Jeff Bezos of this world are now thinking about how we can just extend our lives and beyond and beyond. And who knows, in 100 years' time, how long people will be living. But nevertheless, um, you know, there is you know, human life is, is limited. And then there are these great figures like uh, David Attenborough, who is a, a legend and a, an icon. And there he is, he's 97. If anyone hasn't seen Pla Planet Earth 3, they need to watch it. It's an absolute revelation. It's amazing. Uh, these natural history programs that David does are just, and not just David, but David and his team and the teams he's created. And I'm very thankful and grateful that I've been able to help in this area because I've been involved with the Natural History Unit and brought in someone called Alistair Fothergill, who was a 20-something-year-old when I made him head of head of the Natural History Unit, and he's, he's uh, amazing, and so are his successors. And how did I appoint Alistair Fothergill? 
because I asked David Attenborough who we should appoint. And he said, well, there's this young guy called Alistair Fothergill. He's a man to put in there. And we did. Um, so really, there are, you know, that's a show I think now that everyone should watch um, of all generations. Um, it's magical what you see, what you didn't know about and what you can discover. It's just incredible. It is absolutely wonderful. You've mentioned money a few times now. So whilst we're at it, we might as well deal with the controversy of which you've been cleared. You're naughty, aren't you, Mr. Alan Yentop? I read somewhere in one of your interviews that you're the naughty twin. And uh, apparently in the Yentop fa family, all the Allens are naughty. When I say naughty, I mean mischievous. You know I mean mischievous, don't you? I don't mean naughty, naughty. Yes. Well, we are, we, there are a lot of Allens, and we're a very bonded family. We have, my, I'm a Jewish Iraqi Jew from my, my family came from Iraq. They were Jews from Iraq. They were thrown out of Iraq, um, like, you know, like many others. But they've, they're all over the world. And every Wednesday for the last, since COVID began, about at least 100 of us, get together on zoom it'll be this afternoon at seven o'clock we'll all get wherever we are in the world and we'll have a conversation and we have themes we have music themes we have art themes we have memories themes about our childhood and we share it with people we haven't seen children of children of children who who was who are there who were living in another part of the world in in india or in canada or in edinburgh or wherever it is and we get together. We just we get together twice a year, all the different generations, and at least a hundred of us gather together in different places. Um, and uh, that's the way the world is today. And uh, I just think um, that uh, we, you know, that's another thing, this conversation between different generations, learning from the past. You started off saying, well, we are, older people know things which they can share. That's why I say, you know, let the young generation plunge into the past and realize that there is relevance and, uh, and a source of insight for them in the past as well as and lessons for the future, which need to be learned. Yes, um, I want to join your group. So that's number one. You know, it sounds wonderful. Um, so I'll be there at seven o'clock tonight, she says. You know, mm -hmm. I'm joking. Um, you said a few things then. Um, and I know that there is this great push towards informing and helping and guiding um, the next generation, Alan. But, you know, there's a lot of us that are around that we've got an awful lot of living to do our, ourselves. So it's not just about the young. And, you know, if you're talking about the arts and you and I, we dig it. So... We can have this conversation we we of course but for an awful lot of people it's like whoosh over the head they don't see any relevance they don't see any resonance which again i think is why what's happening in manchester and and, and at eviva uh, is so important and we started this by you talking about the film that you'd made and you talked about danny boyle and you also talked about managing to get it commissioned on new year's eve that for me, Alan Yentob, is where I will jump in and say, yeah, but you can, can't you? Because you have access. Because the big thing that is missing, actually, or, or I find, 
uh, an area that is really, really difficult is finding the way in. Obviously. Well, the way in is, is difficult. I have access because I've earned that access really in terms of access because I've been there all that time. I've been loyal to it. I continue to do it. I have very close relationship with, you know, all those people who are, you know, running the BBC or have run it because I've been with them and I really, I've mentored a lot of them you know, myself. So uh, I think you have to earn that right and uh, you have to do what you can. But to say that there aren't difficulties, of course there are. And I think in the in the industry that we're in, the media industry, it's it's tough at the moment. Uh, the, even it's tough for the big players, you know, the 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 Apples and the Netflixes and the Warner Brothers and the Fox, all these people. Uh, you know, the, the question is, there's huge competition out there and it's putting prices up. It means that there are those things that we need to protect, like what we call arts and culture, you know, that may not be as popular, as you say, as entertainment, and therefore it gets diminished. So it's very important that that art and culture do continue to have, to resonate. And, and for Britain particularly, because the creative industries in the UK are extremely important, and not just their cultural benefit, but their economic benefits, which are underplayed. You know, the, the fact that there are theatres open in Britain, that there are, uh, there, 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 there are television and, and um, that, that, that much of the work that is now seen around the world is made in Britain now. And that is incredibly important. So it, it people come to Britain to go to the theatre. They, they go to hotels, they spend money. This is exactly... Uh, what um, the leader of the council in Manchester was saying about this very significant investment in the Aviva Studios, or um, as I like to call it, Factory International, um, because um, that will see a return on investment. This seems to have been endorsed by everybody, including the head of the Arts Council uh, and Lucy Fraser as well, that it will bring in 100 million a year of revenues. And the other important thing, which I think we heard, is that it isn't just for Manchester. It is for beyond Manchester. It, it's for and the, the wonderful thing. And this is very much Danny's gift as well. I, I worked with Danny and helped him as much as I could on the opening ceremony of the Olympics in 2012, which was fantastic, I think. And he brought the same values to it. He wanted to be inclusive. He wanted to bring the young in. He wanted to... Uh, to 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 join up generations and and different arts for art forms, and uh, he's done that there. I mean, he, it was a it, free your mind's a dance work, but it's not just a dance work. It's storytelling, um, and um, those great guys running it. You know, they they are fabulous. You it's know, a it's a triumph. Mikey and yeah, Mike, Mikey and uh, Henry. Yeah, it is. It's it's a triumph, and again. You know, I'm somebody who who goes to the arts, who digs the arts. I was impressed. And I don't mean like you've got to do something to impress Audrey Hall. I, I don't mean that at all. I mean that when you're in it and you're sort of talking about it all the time, you know, you know the lines. I don't know, inclusivity, oh, diversity, oh, this, oh, that. You, you know those lines. You know that you're hearing them all the time. But to actually go there, I witnessed that. In, in in living practice, 
by the people who were there, by the conversations by, that people were having, by the excitement that the thing generated, by the work itself, by the whole thing itself. It was a real... Yeah, one of the most exciting things about that event was the way that Danny brought it. I mean, the two sides to this. One was the argument about diversity and older people and bringing people in and giving them space in the Aviva studios to tell their stories and to share those stories, you know, an older generation as well excited by it. And then the younger generation, the digital realm and the digital work in Free Your Mind was all achieved by the, these excited young people who Danny brought in and every week would talk to them. Uh, and that sense also of a city is very important. We're now watching cities being destroyed in and homes being demolished in in ukraine and in uh, and in gaza and it, it's shocking it tells you how important community is how important your home is and danny of course comes from manchester and what was so sweet was that many people who didn't come from manchester but went to manchester to work there feel they are mancunians too and they want to be able to share that experience and that love of this city with others too and um the the way that uh, aviva international uh, i call it international because that's what manchester the manchester international festival did it it managed to create collaborations it managed to bring different art forms together it managed to to uh, be international which again is a way of of, of sharing experiences but also uh, very importantly of being able to support financially this ambitious program uh, but exists and is uh, supported by hopefully central and local government and by the local people okay local people manchester you you've got a connection to manchester too i know that you feel um like you hold it that you hold it very dearly too but what are you going to say alan to Mrs. Whoever from Manchester who's working two and three jobs at the moment just to feed her kids and keep the family in the home. How are we going to get Mrs. Smith to understand that there's a benefit to her and it's a benefit for her too? Well, this is a very complex and very challenging situation, not just in the UK, but worldwide, that there is a huge gap between those who have and those who don't have, and it's getting wider and wider. And really, in a sense, we can talk about culture, but also what about food? What about living? What about work? What about class? And what about oh. having a home to live in? I mean, these are very important things and they need to be resolved. And, um, you know governments need to pay attention to 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 those who are only just barely able to to survive um so really the important thing to say is that culture is part of this story um the culture is about telling stories about our lives and who we are and therefore you know in a way free your mind tries to do that as well uh, you know it talks about black lives matter it relates to all these things and also, in, in you know, we you could some might say, given the prosperity in Manchester and all those skyscrapers going up, 
but actually Manchester doesn't need levelling up. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Manchester needs to draw in not just Greater Manchester, but the north of England into this promising space that it's got and to share that experience. And that will make a difference. And that will, we're now living in a world where there are opportunities, actually, um, this is not to say AI, but the digital realm, uh, whereby everyone, once upon a time, uh, you couldn't, you know, that the industry, the, the TV industry, the, whatever, was in the hands of a few. But now everyone is empowered. This machine you're looking at here and you've got there, yes. you, can, you can make films out of this. You can make feature films out of it. You can tell stories. You can share them on YouTube. So everyone has an opportunity. Uh, and by using it effectively, by using this machine effectively, uh, you can free your mind, yourself. Uh, but not just by going to the same spot and playing games. Uh, there's so much else to discover through this. Uh, and we've never had that opportunity before. I mean, the old days to find out things, you know, I couldn't live without this thing, this machine, you know, to learn things. Uh, you know, you've got to be a bit skeptical, but it's it's a very valuable resource. I mean, I recently have been making, when I'm making films now, I, I use my phone or a lot of the time to film things. I did a film about Mel Brooks called Mel Brooks Unwrapped in which 15 minutes of the film was shot on my iPhone and that went out on HBO in America and they said to me, could you, can you get a higher quality out of it? I said, certainly not. That's it, you're lucky to have it. And they agreed and it went out. Yeah. So the, the, the world is changing and it, this technology empowers people to tell stories, just like you, you're doing your podcast. You, when would, you wouldn't have been able to do that 20 years ago. You're now able to take control and to think people aren't powerless, they are able. But at the same time, you need food, you need education, and education is also available via this source. Yes, yes. You know, um, you touched on race, and, and obviously you and I have both been talking about class. And, you know, 2020, Alan, I mean, uh, something else that I've not said is that an awful lot of uh, the work that you do is, 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 giving a voice to the voice well giving a voice to the voiceless it sometimes allows in the voice of the voiceless should we say that because i know that you go for the big names but you are also doing that and um 2020 was a really really big year for black people when i say big year i mean it was an awful year for black people you know it was kind of off the back of brexit and trump and then we had COVID and then we had George Floyd and then we had Grenfell and then we had the Windrush and it went on and Absolutely, on. Absolutely, yeah. And 2020, Alan, honestly, for me was, I, I take say to everybody, it was, was for me is where I, I, I you know, um, it really, really made a difference. It wasn't so much that George Floyd changed my life, but the effects of what happened, the implications of what happened after George Floyd changed my life not only in terms of the blah going on out there but in terms of who I am what my own life was what I'd lived with all of these years you know as somebody born in Britain uh, but not living actually Alan in the black community not living the traditional that kind of a life you know unsurprisingly married somebody white the first time 
and the second time, incidentally, because I was brought up English. I wasn't brought up. Absolutely. You well, know, I think people I'm, people need to understand this, you know, and it's very difficult for someone like you, born born here, who sees yourself as a Brit, integrated in that community, offering a different perspective on the world. I mean, that's what's so rich and so great about certain cities, you know, that you do have this. Now, some people resent it and resist it. Uh, and one of the reasons they resent it and resist it is partly because they're struggling as well. I mean, it, it's it, this whole immigration thing is a problem, you know, but there's an irony in all this that if you think about the pretty Patels of this world and the, you know, <laughs> all the, these politicians, Suella Brotherman and all that, it's so ironic. Even Donald Trump, he's a he's a Hello. he's an immigrant, and his family were immigrants, so, and yet his attitude to immigrants is let's get rid of them. So it's ironic we've arrived at this stage, you know, where these people can forget about their own lives and that and that the fact that they had access here and they were allowed to come to Britain, try to make things better, try to understand. But ironically, um, no, <laughs> it's know, not necessarily happening. But I think the other thing about Black Lives Matter is so extraordinary that that one incident of George Floyd created this sort of revelation that in all these years, things looked like they were getting better, but they weren't really getting that much better. And uh, that was shocking, I think. There you, know? you go. There you go. And that was it, Alan. But you know what happened? What was wonderful is that the world said enough is enough. Is enough. It was the world. So that was wonderful. That was number one. Complicit silence was also supposed to be ended. So that was also wonderful. But that actually, Alan, is when the thirst and hunger for celebrity really started to almost take hold. And the only people that they wanted to hear from was somebody who had a celebrity name. It, it was weird. It was a kind of a topsy-turvy world where you felt important but you also felt irrelevant at the very, very same time. And, you know, I found that in that period, hundreds of people, whether they were involved in the arts or not, took to the arts, took to writing poetry or, or some prose or some sort of creative art form to kind of explain what they were going through their way. It did bring about the most amazing creativity did you witness that as well well i do and there's stories that go back on this i mean one of the people in um the film i made about manchester the factory was that well, i love him is lem sisse and lem wrote his book and his story and i made a film about it and lem's story is extraordinary and it was poetry and art and culture that saved lem yes you know a, a, a boy abandoned, you know, by the system, you know, abandoned by his mother, but not necessarily, she's not, it's not about, he doesn't lay blame necessarily, but the world is complex. And Lem has triumphed in the most amazing way. I mean, he loves Manchester Lem. He loves language and poetry. Uh, he, he didn't sit there feeling sorry for himself. He moved himself forward and on. I think Lem is, uh, is fantastic. Well, well, it's interesting you mentioned Lem because um, I've not been in the industry quite as long as you, Mr. Yentzel, but, but, you know, it's knocking on 30 years. And Lem, I know from days of old. So Lem, I know from the day he started. 
and he was labeled as angry black youth. Do you remember? Yes, I do. Well, when he used to do his, yeah. That's what they used to call them all the time. Um, You know, angry black man. I mean, and and common world and and, and culture. Anyway, it's nonsense. It's not an angry black man. It is absolute nonsense. This is the whole point. And but but this is what happens, Alan. And this is when you start talking about, you know, you know, I said to you that like like the huge impact that George Floyd had on me. It's kind of understanding what's going on, because no, these this is the language and this is the sort of stuff that we hear all the time. You know, if black people articulate anything, if we say anything, if I say it and a woman says anything, oh, aggressive, you know, chip on the shoulder, oh, got a real problem, and, and no. I'm just articulating the reality of of life. Well, there are some changes. I mean, I I think, for instance, uh, women's football. Look at the sports. Yes. <laughs> the sports you know, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the 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 winning of that by England's goalkeeper. Um, that's changing. The Me Too moment has changed. I mean, Harvey Weinstein will be remembered not so much for those films he managed to take credit for, uh, but for being the person who created the Me Too movement. So there are changes. Things are getting better. People are learning more. But, you know, people, these things still go on. But th- there have been some advantages. And, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter is one. The Me Too movement is another. Uh, and those things have really risen in terms of people's consciousness. They're difficult to avoid. Uh, that injustice does go on. So the police force, you know, the education system, the care system, these things, there are revelations and and things that need to be understood there. And, uh, you know, I've been through a lot of these things myself. I was chairman of Kids Company, which I absolutely loved and which was absolutely vilified. And then there was a court case. A woman was the judge. She totally vindicated us on five years of... Thing. what's happened to those children now what's going on in those care homes and then the hacking thing i was hacked by the by the mirror i went to court i won the case i was hacked for seven years um at least three times a week according to the judge i've just been on the world at one and my 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 lawyer was david sherborne the man who's now doing all these these cases and my dear cousin uh gerald chamash who is a lawyer who's also involved in all this case and lives in lived in Manchester. We all come from Manchester. You know, that's where my family were. They before culture there was cotton and that's what my family were in. <laughs> and then the cotton industry collapsed and they came to London. <laughs> but um this, you know, it is there are so many stories and lessons to be learned and there are positive things. So those Black Lives Matter, Me Too, those things Every, everyone knows what they are. They need to learn from those from those experiences. And women's rights are beginning to be understood better than they were. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we will make progress. Um, but uh, it's, you know, people are able, one of the shocking, most shocking things that's happened in the last 10 years is, the, is do, not just Donald Trump's rise in the country that we thought represented democratic rights despite the fact it's been through all that it's been through you know in terms of human rights and 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 black lives and the rest of it but america still was in some ways for many of us a place where it's a country made of immigrants you know colonialism left it, it, it 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 developed into something extraordinary and 
but it's not just Donald Trump. It's the fact that a huge percentage of the American population seem to be, and those people who are often the, 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 the victims of this system seem to think Donald Trump can do no wrong. I mean, that's more shocking than Donald Trump. There are plenty of Donald Trumps around, but not most of them have got the support of 40% of the American population. That's absolutely... Well, well you, talk, you talk about it being shocking. Um, and I'm just going to draw the parallel with, with Brexit because what it's about basically is about people being made to feel less than. Yes. That, 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 that's, what, that, that, that's what it's been for me. That, that's my easiest way. You said that. that's exactly right. That's the same. And, and it's all the of this same is about yeah. fight that we've been having since the days of slavery. So if you listen to my shows on it, you'll hear me say, I'm bored. I'm bored of talking about the same things. I'm bored of trussing out and going, holding the hands out and going, you know, here we go, it's Black Lives Matter or it's Black History Month. No, my show is Black History Month every show because we're talking about living history. We're talking about the reality of life. We're talking about the reality of our existence. And it is actually different in a lot of subtle ways, but it's also glorious, glorious, absolutely glorious. So it's not like it's all doom and gloom and stuff to moan about. We've got stuff to celebrate too. And it's we having, have. I, I think having a way to bring all of that out is, is kind of what Mr. Alan Yentov does. That, that, that's kind of your job, isn't it? I mean, many do. But it's interesting what you say, because one of the things about what you're doing, the podcasts and the podcast industry, which is growing, is podcasts are an opportunity to have a conversation, to talk about these issues, not simply, you know, to represent a point of view, but to actually have a dialogue. And uh, the, the more podcasts are getting more and more popular, and I think that's good. Uh, it means you you can go and listen to things and hear both sides of the argument, and then make your mind up and try to find the way forward. So yes, I think that's also a good thing. That's the word P for podcasts is another thing you can put up there eventually and hope that that is a learning experience as well. Yes, but we still need we still need the BBCs. You you mentioned Kids Company and I want to just very quickly ask you one question. Um, you know, I know you 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 said it broke your heart. With hindsight. Would you have done anything differently? Not very much, no. Um, and actually, I, one of the things I have to say about D uh, David Cameron is that um, he supported Kids Company till the very end, you know, and continued to do so. And it was, this is my generosity, it was Newsnight who ran a story which, which, which made Newsnight... Uh, the, kids company closed that's what the judge said at the time that it shouldn't have happened that the allegations of misconduct were untrue what we had done was we went over budget where there was a kind of problem there and camilla is someone who had to be managed in that way however the work she did was exceptional uh the the the, the team that she had were great and i know i do not have any i regret did, I, did we do everything right no but mind you, the judge said we did, frankly. frankly. Uh, but no, no one does everything right. Uh, but was it the, the right thing? Was it a model that could have been uh, followed by others? 
Was it a way of not just putting people into categories or denying things? Every time we challenge a local authority about you know, whether or not they had a responsibility to the kids, we never lost the case. Uh, but the fact is that the local authorities were in trouble because the government was taking money away from them, yeah. and they still are. You can yeah. see the latest thing about local councils. They, they don't have the money they once had. It's like the BBC, oh, BBC should do this, but 30% of its budget's been taken away by central government. You know, the, the, we have to understand these things. That, you know, there are sacrifices which have to be made, definitely, in these times. Yes, you know, it, whether it's, you know, because of inflation, because of cost of living, the rest of it, it's not easy. Uh, but we need decent human beings to run these things and to try to explain why things are happening and to look after those who are most dispossessed and unfortunate and there are too many of those across the world whether you go to washington or san francisco or london or manchester or anywhere there are people on the streets suffering and they they need to be looked after and um, you, you know the, these these are problems that shouldn't be happening in this day and age you um i've kept you for so long and i, I want to talk about russell's film um because it really touched me, Alan. Um, I was actually moved to tears in parts. Um, well, I, I have to say, when you look it was, at it's a sin and him and it, when he talks well, about well, Andrew. Well, you know, honestly, it was like, you know, my age. So it's not like I'm a baby. It's not like I don't know what the world's about. It's not like I don't understand gay rights. You know, I, I, I talked about the, the first thing that I did um in broadcasting actually was an AIDS and HIV helpline it was one of the first things I did in broadcasting 1989 at the BBC you were my boss who knew um no I don't know if you were boss were you my boss in 1989 were you no, oh yeah I was boss overall boss when I say boss I was boss, BBC I mean, too in yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean right at the top there um but it was it was one of the first things that I did so you know it's not that I am not aware but honestly it was like an education, Alan. I, I was moved to tears. It was like bits of the jigsaw slotted into place. You actually needed to hear all of the interviews from the actors, from the creatives, from the directors, from that most marvellous lady whose name escapes me. Forgive me. She's the most important lady where her hair's white at the front. And she... Sarah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, unbelievable. Happy Valley. Yeah. Unbelievable. When when you needed, it's almost like you needed all of that stuff, Alan, to actually make sense of quite a lot of stuff that was going on. Um, yeah, well, when Russell said... Through drama, through life. Yeah, when, when Russell talked about the um, a very British scandal and Jeremy Thorpe and that brilliant series that he wrote and that my dear friend Stephen Frears directed. Um, that was an amazing series. And what he said that was most touching was how that period was a period when you couldn't say you were one of them. You, you, you know, you, he, it was only, he was only liberated to talk about HIV after Andrew had died and, and, and the experience that he, that, uh, that his his great friend Jill told, told him about. But I have my own experience in the beginning of this. At the beginning of the ARENA programme, when I started it all those years ago, the, the ARENA that we know, 
I had two colleagues, young colleagues who worked with me. One is called Anthony Wall and he's still here and he's been a, a great contributor to, you should talk to him one day uh, uh, about ARENA because the ARENA archive is going to go into Manchester University and um, yes. it's going to, going to be there. But the other thing is that Nigel Finch was the other person who we worked with who made some absolutely wonderful programs, including about AIDS. And Nigel died of AIDS and I sat next to him as he was dying and I'll never, ever forget it. And that was many years ago. So we witnessed it. We saw it happening. And when one of your closest friends dies at that time when no one spoke of it, that was a deeply shocking experience and um, we'll never forget it, ever, ever forget it. And that reminded me as I sat by Nigel's bed and he was dying and he was still thinking creatively um, and then watching It's a Sin and that in, in never, incredibly touching scene of the mother with the boy sitting and, and sort of not really understanding what was going on until that moment. No, it was incredibly moving. And uh, Russell is an exceptional character and he sent a note to, to everyone <laughs> after the film. When, he, when we watched it, he, he, he thought he was going to hate it. <laughs> and he couldn't believe how much he loved it. <laughs> it honestly, a, honestly, Alan, it, uh, it, it, made, it moved me to tears. It made me draw breath. And it was like putting a jigsaw together. You know when things kind of slot into place, it's like you know... Mm. But when things kind of slot into place, it's kind of put into context like that. You're like, okay, I get it now. I get it now. And there's so many parallels that can be drawn against, you know, homosexuality, you know, homophobia, racism, sexism. You know, there's some people who are different. I think there was a line in, in one of your, in, in, in I can't remember if it was in the first film or the second film, where you talk about, about people you know it's about people who are different or being different or or something and there's so many parallels that we can draw um in our lives you know that whole idea of you know kids being sent home to die locked up in the parents bedroom you know the parents of shame you know you sort of think about you know, young girls getting pregnant and what used to happen then, they were hidden away in the hills somewhere. There's so many Absolutely. things like that, that you can sort of go, okay, so that happened in the church, that happened with racism, that happened with, and there's so many because we're all people who who somehow are, as I say, uh, made to feel somehow less than. Well, you're, you're taking us back to these other things. We talked about Black Lives Matter, but there's another issue where you can go backwards. Donald Trump managed to change an extraordinary judgment in the American courts called Roe versus Wade, which was about, um, you know, about abortion, allowing it to happen. So that America was liberated abortion and he managed to change that law. I mean, to go backwards in time. Uh, so you know, you, you've got to be alert to the fact that you may, don't get blasé, don't get complacent, you know, whether it's about Black Lives Matter or about, uh, you, you know, well, we're now LGBT, that's kind of a really difficult area to deal with as well. We've got to find our way through this to protect young people, but also to liberate people, to allow them to be themselves. Um, 
you know, marriage between, you know, two people of the same sex, all this church having to address this, is it going to be allowed or not allowed? These, these are the challenging questions and they include a responsibility to young children, but also an obligation to, to find yourself and have your own life. So nothing is going to be easy going forward, but there are glimmers of light and there are dark shadows. So we need to find our way through these. And the way to find our way is to keep informing yourself, keep asking questions, keep being curious. So that's it. That's my my message after my relatively long and lucky life. <laughs> and we have to find a way to find humour. And that's also something that you've managed to do, Mr. Yentop, haven't you? Well, that, that, that is true. And I think Russell is a very great example of that, you know, how he, that moment when he says about when Andrew was dying and he was sort of almost gone and he wanted to get married. And the last thing on earth I wanted to do was to get married. I mean, that was such a brave and bold and loving thing to say. And yet it was a sort of denial of something that a lot of people said, my God, how shocking is his lover of 20 years is it wants to get married and he, you know, he can't face it. But that's not what you felt. You felt something else. Um, it it um, was gorgeous, Alan. Honestly, it was it was just gorgeous. Um, so, yeah, one that you should feel hopefully rightfully proud of. And please do tell him that I'm I'm going to go and look and see everything that he's ever done. I found right, and follow so him many, on Instagram. He's on I Instagram. So many resonances with stuff that he was saying i was just like oh my god let me let me talk to this person he's wonderful yeah. i felt you know you feel i felt good you feel better at the end of it as well <laughs> you know you, it's kind of like you, you're left with a kind of a hope um you know your program's called imagine and i i just mentioned humor then and obviously the one that we've got to look forward to is the return of jennifer and um <laughs> the ab ab duo dawn. Yeah, dawn and dawn and jennifer yeah what, um, what 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 can we expect from this one um well bitchy bitter <laughs> that that's uh besides I, I think it's great fun they're an absolutely lovely couple they're um they're still friends after all these years and it's a story about britain which is really interesting you talk about humor the comic strip and the early years of the comic strip, Aid Edmondson and uh, uh, and Rick Mail and you know the whole whole galaxy of performers who came out of that era, including French and Saunders, uh, and the only two girls allowed in the group, you know, one way or another. Um, so I think that was a critical moment of a new generation of humour which arrived in Britain. And talking about other things, a lot of the the the, the successful humours of <laughs> Sorry, a lot of those successful humorists at the time, I won't mention names, but were quite right wing and quite sexist and, and racist even. And they they ushered in a new era. And uh, some of them are still with us, including French and Saunders. So, um, no, I, I I think you'll I think people will love it. Uh, it's down there on as in the Sunday Times and the Radio Times as one of the best films of, for Christmas. So, oh, wow. Oh wow, okay. Can I ask you, is there anything, Alan, that's not funny? Is there anything that 
we shouldn't make light of. This is very difficult. I mean, for instance, people, I think that the thing we have to be careful about is not eliminating the past and learning lessons. So all this stuff is, let's cut stuff out from Little Britain, for instance. I, I love Little Britain. Did you or didn't you? Do you know, I'm going to say, I used to watch Rising Dump. I loved Rising Dump. I <laughs> Seriously, this is what I'm telling you about being brought up. Mm. Born black, obviously born black, born black, well done, Audrey. English, born, you know, my mum and dad came here in 1955. So I was born the end of 1959. But we were brought up as English. We weren't brought up as black. We didn't live in a black community. We didn't have those things, you know, I mean... We had reference into it, and my reference into it started with music, and then you start going to it and start going out and understanding. And it was when I started broadcasting, Alan, that I really got an understanding of the difference of my life living with my white husband and child in Sale as my counterpart's life living in Moss Side, um, struggling. Mm -hmm having to work two and three jobs and trying to look and see the, the, the difference of circumstance, it really did make a difference. So it was like, no, we're, we're actually, we're not all the same, Alan. But you know that no. we're not all the same. But also and irony, satire, all these things, you know, I think we need to, you know, try to understand the past and understand some of these things and not just eliminate them. You know, it's like, you know, we need to discuss them. But uh, I love Little Britain and I don't think it was intended to be, you know, whatever it was. It was intended to be playful and to to share those experiences. And the way these things are sort of eliminated or even, you know, John Cleese and, you know, going on about whatever. I mean, you can't. <laughs> John Cleese is John Cleese, but the, but he was an incredibly gifted performer and entertainer. But don't, and, you, um, think, don't you think it's somebody with today's views trying to impart that value onto something that actually at the time was just entertainment and fun and nice i wouldn't yeah. be well some I, of it wasn't i wouldn't be some of this early it. stuff i'm talking of very early stuff there was some really bad stuff on which or not really bad but bad enough but no i i think where you can't understand irony and humor and things like that yeah um I, I think, yes, you're absolutely right. We can't just sort of eliminate things like that. We need to understand why they happened and what they were. And some is good and some isn't so good. And I keep saying, nobody is perfect. You know, this, there is, you know, even, even the goodies have bad moments. You know, it's not, it's not as simple as that. But we need to uh, not put everybody in a category and say that's not there. You know, so, you know, there you are. I've got to go now. So <laughs> it's no problem. You have been absolutely amazing. And what's I think totally inspiring to me is is you're still excited. I can see it. You start talking about the stories and you're still excited and you're still passionate. And you've been doing it even longer than me. And that's because you believe in the story. You believe in the people, the same thing, the thing that gets your heart beating. Um that's I, I think I think I think that we are very lucky to have you. And uh they should have made you the director general of the BBC, shouldn't they? <laughs> I'm happy as I am. That's all fine. Lovely to talk to you, Audrey. And, you and uh, stay in touch. Thank you. Bye. 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 So there you go. Mr. Alan Yentol, but Mr. BBC himself, a wonderful enabler of the arts for over half a century and 
still going strong. And uh, incidentally, in case you're wondering, and before you ask, there's no funny business going on in my introduction of Alan as the man who said yes to me and meant it, or at least yet. <laughs> you know, I'm always open to new possibilities. So uh, watch this space, Mr. Yentob, and uh, imagine me thanks, or uh, perhaps a later with Jules with Audrey Rule. <laughs> I wouldn't that be something, folks? But seriously, I introduced Alan as such because he agreed to the interview and did it. And even better for me, as you'll hear within our chat, endorsed the purpose and value of my podcast and what I do in my radio show, which of course is sharing a different perspective of informed opinion, which is just so, so cool. So thank you Alan Yentop, a man of integrity who helped to define entertainment over a generation through that same integrity, truth, honesty and beauty. Of course evidenced and brought to life by the uh, visionary creatives involved in Alan's life of film. And long may it continue. So that's almost it for this time on the uh, Undisputed Music Legends. Alan provided an amazing insight into the BBC, the arts and the impact of the digital transformation of the creative industries. And, you know, to paraphrase, Alan says, these are the conversations that are needed to help us to open our minds, look, listen and learn and share all with the purpose of working towards a fairer world. And, you know, you can't say better than that because uh, my undisputed music legends are the guys helping to drive that narrative. So, thank you for listening. Do please remember to like and subscribe for more. And uh, until the time when uh, I meet another undisputed music legend, this is Audrey Hall saying, uh, enjoy the groove and positive vibes until the next time. <laughs>